0: The Feel
1: Not. Episode 146. The one where I shoot an apple off David's head.
0: The Feel podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter.
1: Explore the vast reaches of God's word.
0: Hello all you Theo-Justified out there, I'm David Getty. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are the, the Theonites. What's up, man? Not much man. How you been? It's been good. Been been yeah. all right. Yeah. So we celebrated Columbus Day this Woo! week. Woo!
1: I heard you went hiking. I did. You went. I went uh, exploring.
0: Exploring. What do you
1: think about Just, Christopher Columbus? I almost used him as today in Christian history. Yeah. Because you know he, yeah, was he close he, he was a devout Catholic and he discovered the New World and
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know all that. But what what do you think about him? Do you think he was well, I mean, a great man or a bloodbath tyrant like everybody nowadays is saying, he is. yeah, I don't care.
0: <laughs> no, actually, I just, <laughs> um, I've read his writings, mm-hmm. things like that. So, I mean, I don't know about the hearsay stuff, but I know some of the stuff he wrote, and I'm impressed by some of that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, he stepped out on faith. I mean, he didn't think he was going to quote unquote discover the new world, but. His intention was to sail around the world to reach India, right? And uh, he quoted scripture to back that up. It was kind of cool, you know. All these flat earthers—it's like go read some Christopher Columbus. (laughs) He quotes scriptures that talk about the the circle of the earth and and all of that sort of thing to to say, hey, I can get to India by going the other way. Whoa! And so I thought that was kind of cool.
1: That's interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I've just I've been hearing a lot about him. Both positive and negative. Yeah,
0: everybody wants to make the history so negative that it's forgettable. Like, let's forget it. Let's tear it down. Let's destroy it. Let's forget, you know, <laughs> even the atrocities. Okay, well, let's remember the atrocities too, because guess what? If you start forgetting them, you're going to repeat them. That's right. Amen. That's just the way it's going to be.
1: That's good. So, well, I didn't do anything for Columbus Day except for go to
0: school. So, your school was in for Columbus Day? Yeah, we didn't have it off. It's kind of weird the way that works. Like it's a federal holiday
1: They should have it off
0: And that's why um, That's why I was off Because the banks are off Right And even though I'm A software developer My major clients are Banks yeah. Well
1: I mean yeah. Well they, they work they In the banking banks, industry
0: yeah. And so they can't Wire funds There's no sense In them going to work
1: So there's no sense In you need to drive to Dallas Exactly Yeah So why not go hiking That's right Did you have fun I had a great time How'd your wife handle it
0: uh, It was okay Yeah She was a trooper yeah. She hung in there That's good uh, Okay so here's the deal there's this there's this hiking trail out at Lake Texoma that I absolutely love. Yeah, it's called Cross Timbers Trail, and it runs uh, 14 miles one direction. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing is like a 28 mile hike if you do the whole thing. Wow. Um, but I've never done that. The um, because part of it, from what I understand, is really boring and really non-adventurous. You actually get on a road at one point. Oh. So wow. yeah. So I don't even mess with it after a certain point. Right. So I like the middle section of it. Like I, I don't start at the very first, but there's a place where you can jump into it, and that's where we normally jump in. At
1: this is that right behind Eisenhower's head?
0: No. Oh. No, it's over off um, off, uh, off by uh, you know where Watchboro is. Yep. So it's north of Watchboro. Okay. Near the Willis Bridge. Sorry. Go ahead. So, so anyway. So, so Yeah, all our listeners, you guys you know, have no idea what we're just talking in about. Tennessee and yeah. Mississippi and all Eisenhower's that. head. Yeah, what's he talking about? <laughs> that bury Eisenhower's head up there <laughs> in Texas. We have it in a in a glass jar. Yeah, we keep it right. here in Texas. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's great. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, so we we jump in at the at this marina and. You go about two miles in, and there's an excursion off the main trail called the Lost Loop. And I've always liked to hike it and camp it because it is kind of hard to traverse. Uh-huh. That's why it's called the Lost Loop, because they don't maintain it all that well. Uh, but it's really remote, cool places to camp, no one bothers you, right? Well, I was like, hey, you know, Melanie's not going to want to hike all the way, so we're just going to go you know, in and come back out, so let's make the Lost Loop and come back out. Right. And then realize that since it's been like 5 years since I've been out there, uh that that part of the trail of the lost loop is really lost right now. Like I mean, it has grown up like crazy. And there were places I swear we were walking in brush that was over our heads. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're just like shoulders rubbing up against it. I mean, it's wow. Yeah. And uh I, and she's a she's got all kinds of allergies. Allergies,
1: yeah, bad. And, <laughs>
0: <laughs> so like, oh, I kept thinking, this is horrible. And once you go through it, at first she's like, "David, I don't want to do this. I think this is bad. This is a bad idea. Let's go." I'm like, "No, no, no. Once we get past this, it'll be fine." <laughs> but it did not ever get fine. Right. Like <laughs> we went like a, I don't know, half a mile into it, and then at that point it was like you're you've committed. Right. So it's like you know you're either going to go back out through all that or hope that the trail gets better. Sure. <clears throat> but it got it did get better. But uh, she's allergic to all kinds of stuff. So she came out with whelps all Aww. over her. And, uh, but she didn't complain, and she knew that that's my deal. Like, she was the one who suggested it. She was like, hey, you want to go hiking on your day off? And I was like, yeah, let's go do that. And uh, so, yeah, so she was – and as far as, like, uh, keeping up with me and all that, she did great. Wow. It's a real rugged hike. Like it's lots of ups and downs and roots and rocks right. and all kinds of stuff. And she just, she did well. We we went over six miles.
1: You got a good woman there. Yeah. Yeah. Christine would have been, nope. <laughs>
0: well, she's a good woman too, but
1: she seriously would have been, nope. She's going to go to the own,
0: mat buddy. in different ways. Yeah. So. That's right. That's right.
1: So anyways, well. So you got anything else? What? Are we ready to jump into well, let's, let's get it on.
0: Let's do it. Week two. Yeah. Of our Reformation celebration. Woo hoo! Woo ha!
1: We're wearing our party hats in the studio. Yeah. We got streamers.
0: I got uh, shaved the top of my head just for
1: this. that's right. I'm wearing a (coughs) monk cowl. I don't know. I I give up. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious.
0: So, yeah. So we started, you know, last week we started going through the five solas. This Uh is the second week of that. And so uh, last week we we covered Sola Gratia.
1: Yes, by grace alone. I had uh, the fun of taking on
0: that one. So by grace alone are we saved. Yep, and so we're going we're gonna to fall in line. Uh, we're kind of going through the solas in this order. Sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christus, sola scriptura, and soli, soli deo gloria. gloria. So um, I think it's kind of cool that we're going through it in this order because I think it helps us to understand this whole concept of solas. Um, I know it's, I've heard people get confused because you're saying salvation is by, okay, so in the English, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. (laughs) And so it's like, how can you have five alones? Like, it's either alone or it's it's with something else. else. So how can there be five alones? And so putting it in this order helps us to explain it. Because we can use um, a sentence of sorts. So salvation is by grace alone. So it's not earned. Right. It, it comes by grace alone, but it comes through faith alone. Mm-hmm. So faith is the only way to achieve the grace, uh, and that faith is in Christ alone. You can't have faith in something else. Right. It has to be Christ alone mm-hmm. and his sacrifice. Um, and th- what you know about Christ has to come through Scripture Scripture alone. And not, in you know, sure, your favorite pastor may have some good things to say, but ultimately you got to check him.
1: It's got to go back to Scripture. Check him Mm
0: -hmm. to Scripture. Scripture is the source and and the Scripture alone. And then, obviously, the last one is so that God receives all the glory. So to his glory alone. You get nothing out of it. Your favorite pastor gets nothing out of it. I mean we might get something out of it but he's not going to get any glory out of it. This is all God's glory. Amen. Thus salvation is for his glory alone. So that's how all these alone's work and we'll probably re- reiterating that as we as we go through. Cool. So we talked about how salvation was by grace alone in the last episode. Yes. And this time we're going to talk about the means of receiving that grace. So we we talk about so it, it's it also it's often confusing because people want to almost confuse grace and faith, like the terms. But they do mean completely separate things.
1: Yeah. You can't interchange those two terms. Right. At all.
0: They get used together all the time.
1: But they're not interchangeable. Right.
0: Yeah. So it's not uh, you know, this grace-faith thing or whatever. I mean, it's, it is... Uh, so we talked about how it's a free gift. That's pretty much what we talked about last Right. Time, that you haven't earned it at all. So the concept of faith also talks about not earning it, but um, from a different vein. Now we're talking about how do you get that grace? Right. Okay, so grace is a gift. How do you receive the gift? How do you p- sure. p- pick it up? And that's what um, that's what we're going to be talking about today, is that the, that gift is received by faith alone. And uh, so... You know, if you think about, I guess, you know, if we were to talk about, um, you know, how you would get a gift in normal, everyday life. You know, if I give you a gift, I go to the store and I buy you something.
1: A Ninja Turtle. I'll
0: I'll buy you a Ninja Turtle. It's sitting on my (laughs) shelf at home, like in a little box with Uh Jeremiah's name on it. It's for him. I bought this for him. It's his alone and he's not going to earn it. There's nothing he can do to, to, to earn it. But you never show up to my house. Okay. Well, the Ninja Turtle is going to sit there on the table. It's a gift. I've, I've bought it for you. Do you not want it? And I say, Jeremiah, I got a gift here for you. Well, what do you have to do? You have to kind of step out on some sort of belief that I have a gift for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> and just come to me and get it. And like, receive it. Right. And to mm-hmm. receive the gift. So uh, just the fact that I bought it at the store doesn't mean it's in your hands and you're making use of it there has to be some interaction. In exchange uh-huh. there has to be a relationship yes right there has to be some communication there has to be something there right and so that's where we get to when we talk about faith. So we're talking about Martin Luther because we the Reformation and and you're gonna fall asleep before this episode I'm not, goes I'm <laughs>
1: so sorry it's been a long day so I gotta wake up I should have gotten Americano before <laughs> yeah. we begin but let's keep going
0: at least you were like <gasps>
1: Uh, yeah. you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> my bad dude <laughs> so anyway so talking about
0: martin luther so uh, we're gonna be quoting him a little bit yes just because he's the guy who kind of kicked this ball rolling at least made it a movement like there was guys before martin luther talking about this stuff obviously uh going all the way back to you as you mentioned you know augustine and, right and, and and so forth but um we had uh, Tyndale was slightly in that he's contemporary, but um, what's it got? Wycliffe. Wycliffe. Wycliffe died, you know, before all this stuff really years, hit the fan. Like that, yeah. And, uh, but <clears throat> Martin Luther is kind of the one who who kickstarted this. And um, I am going to be relying on the Book of Galatians quite a bit. Uh, most of our verses are going to come from Galatians. Galatians and Romans obviously are like the they're the main uh, proof texts. For this whole thing. Right. Okay, so like uh, Romans is really the best source for when you're just talking about grace. Yeah. Right? Now, there's a, definitely a lot of, about faith in Romans too, don't get me wrong. But Galatians is the one where Paul has to actually start fighting about how you receive the gift. Right. And, uh, and so Martin Luther really leaned on Galatians. In fact, uh, he was quoted as saying, Galatians is where I live. He said, uh, Galatians is my wife. I am married to it. (laughs) She is my Catherine. (laughs) (laughs) And so I thought that
1: was. (laughs) Bold statement. No,
0: man. Yeah. Catherine's
1: sitting over there going. "Mm -hmm."
0: Women women back then probably, you know. Yeah. They didn't have as much say, I guess. You know, just sit over there and let me.
1: Well, Martin Luther's wife was awesome. If you ever do a study on her.
0: That's true. She was epic. Yeah, she's like, I don't want any of these guys you're picking out for me, right? Like,
1: yeah. Well, basically...
0: She was a nun. That he nobody,
1: watched. He couldn't marry her off. Right. Like, <laughs> nobody wanted her. And she said, if you don't marry me off, I'm marrying you. <laughs> and then, it, because he'd snuck her out of the, the, the convent the literary, yeah. in a wine barrel or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, like, it was his duty to marry them all off. And he did, except for Catherine. And then finally... But that chick was... Hardcore on him, like one time. I, I don't know if I've told the story on Theo. It's one of my favorite stories. Like he was in a really depressed. Sorry, I'm taking over. Here. No, you're good. He was in a really depressed state. Mm-hmm. Like he was walking around for like months, just down in the dumps. So she started dressing in all black. Have I told you this? <laughs> no. She started dressing in all black, like wearing a shawl and all that. And he's like, "Why? Why are you dressing all black?" And she goes. Well, God must have died the way you're acting. <laughs> so I'm going to mourn. I love that. It, You know, it kind of just woke him out of his stupor. <laughs> but she was just as fiery as he was. And yeah. they had how many babies? <laughs> <laughs> the nun he couldn't marry off. And they, yeah,
0: that's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So... Um- <clears throat> Anyway, I was getting to that had
1: nothing to do with any of it. But well, I was ahead. getting to he's married to Galatians. Yeah, he's married to Galatians, uh-huh.
0: and uh, so he uses Galatians a lot. In fact, okay, Galatians is one of my favorite books too because I've had some Martin Luther experiences. Yeah, and um, so I'm I'm reading through Galatians, and it's just it's just nailing me where I am on a lot sure. of the things that I'm dealing with, and it's only six chapters long. Right. I start reading Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians, which, by the way, is, is like, if you want to know what Galatians says, go get this commentary. Like, this is the best commentary you will ever read on the book <laughs> of Galatians. And it is a thousand pages long. <laughs> now, think about that. You got a six-chapter book of the Bible— And Martin Luther takes it almost word for word. Like, he studies every single word Paul writes. Wow. Like, he stops in mid-sentence and and speaks, like, pages on it. It's really in-depth and and really... But the cool thing is, is I was sitting there reading through it and going, whoa, was Martin Luther in the meeting I just came out of, the church meeting I just came out of? Because that's exactly what I heard. Like, I heard those same things in the meeting I was in. (laughs) Sure. <laughs> and so it was like, oh, wow. It was just really hitting home. And so, uh, most of the times when you find this, it's going to be abridged. Uh, but the full thing, like I said, it's a thousand pages long. It's pretty cool. So, yeah. anyway, <clears throat> he is a big proponent of faith. And uh, so he says here, this is a quote by him, in my heart reigns this one article, faith in my dear Lord Christ, the beginning, middle, and end of whatever spiritual and divine thoughts I may have, whether by day or by night. Mm. So that's how much weight he puts on faith and obviously faith in Christ. Christ. So um, he just talks about it being everything. It's the beginning, it's the middle, it's the end. Every spiritual, every divine thing that is me comes from there, whether it's day or night. Yes. And I I just think that was really awesome. So part of what he he teaches about faith all comes from this whole concept that it is unnatural. That the whole concept of, uh, and we talked about this a little bit last week, of grace, receiving something by grace through faith is so unnatural that it is so unusual that uh every 100 years or so someone's going to have to stand up for this because human nature just will shun it because human nature says you have to earn what you get yeah nothing's for free right, right? there's no such thing uh, as it's
1: that. just the natural you know inclination as me as a teacher that's
0: what i teach oh yeah you know you have to earn the grade there's no such thing as a free ride that's right yeah you you have to work hard strive Put your best foot forward. I mean, all these, these things that we teach our kids, mm-hmm. and it's not in life, it's a, it's a good teaching it's a because you true have to, teaching, You want people right. to work hard and you want people, but everything we do in life is about risk and reward. It's about earning and uh, going that extra mile and right. stepping ahead and all this, and uh, salvation doesn't work that way. And that's why it's so unnatural. It's an unnatural It's the unnatural religion, just like the example you gave last week of all the other religions saying, hey, we're all doing this the same way. And the Christian says, no, I'm not trying to get up the mountain to God. God came down the mountain for me. Yeah. So it's a completely unnatural way of looking at religion. Right. And so um, uh, he he said, grace by faith is not natural and hence will always be argued against religiously. Hmm. So... We have proof of that. And it started in 50 AD, when Paul wrote the book of Galatians. The whole book of, of Galatians is written as a defense to faith alone. Right. And that it is written to the Judaizers who were stepping in and saying, No, there's other things you have to do in order to receive the grace of God, which is an oxymoron when you really stop and think about it. Because you've ruined <laughs> the definition of the word
1: grace. Grace. That's it true. is
0: unmerited favor. And if you earn it. Somehow, if you do something to get it, then it's not unmerited anymore. Right. Um, So, 400 AD, you mentioned last week, Augustine has to defend this this whole concept against Pelagius. Mm -hmm. Uh, 1517, 500 years ago, what we're what we're celebrating now. Martin Luther had to defend it against Rome. So this is it's patterned. Someone has to stand up for this constantly. Otherwise, people lose track of it. So one of the big concepts that comes up in talking about faith is this term justification because justification is about us being made right with God. So what I'd like to do is look at the need for justification. Um, what is justification and what are the means of justification? Okay. Okay. So first off the need for justification. So, um, We talked last week about our depravity. We're totally depraved. There is nothing we can do to get to God. But the flip side of that is God has a level of justice that must be met. He is a righteous judge. He's pure. He's holy. He's sanctified, set apart from us because he cannot look upon sin. Mm. So he cannot even gaze upon sin, according to, uh, was it Habakkuk? Mm -hmm. And so here we are, like in this conundrum. We're totally depraved. In other words, we can't do it. We can't work our way up to him. And he has such high standards that they must be met and justice must be done. So, because you got depravity plus justice in the mix, we need justification. So, um, if we look at uh, uh, a scripture out of Galatians that refers to kind of gives us this idea, Galatians 3 verses 23 to 26 says, Now, before faith came, we were held captive. Under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Hmm. Oh man, this stuff is so powerful. So And it's really, really clear if you stop and read it, like really what he's saying. And there's so many Christian religious groups that are so hung up on all the law. And I don't just mean the don't get confused and say well he's only talking about mosaic law here. He is talking about the concept of law, of law. Yes. Um cuz <clears throat> he says before faith. So he's 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 not just of he's not um juxtaposing um one law with another law. He is juxtaposing law against faith. Mm-hmm. And so he says, now before faith came, we were held captive. Why? Because the law imprisoned us. Yes. Because the law gave us God's righteous judgment, his regulations, where he is. And it gives us vision on where we are. Because then we can now see that we are depraved. Mm. We can now see that we cannot accomplish all of that. And so... uh Think about, it, he's talking about it, the law imprisons us. It does it in any, in any uh, law system. Right. Okay, so in in here in America, if I go out and I kill somebody, it's just like, you know, I didn't like that guy. Take Done. him out, Yeah. Whatever. And then I go, and I'm standing before the judge, and I go, you know, I know, I, I killed the guy, but you know what? I'm a good guy. <laughs> like, I... I give to charities. I go to church every Sunday. I've never cheated on my wife. I'm a good guy. Yeah. So I got this one thing. I killed that guy. But you know, overall, <laughs> I'm a pretty decent fella. my goods way out my bad. Right, right. I've done so many more good things. Right. And that's how we treat, that's how we somehow think we're gonna stand before God like that. Yeah. Well, that, that doesn't fly in our system. Why would, it, why would we think it would fly in God's system? Yeah. I mean, God, the, the judge is going to look at you like you're crazy and go, no, death penalty. Right. Because you killed somebody out of cold, in cold blood. And so once a sin, and it could be not just murder, it could be anything, it's a lie. It could be anything, mm-hmm. impure thoughts, all these things condemn us in God's eyes. Right. And so we're imprisoned to that. The minute we made our first mistake, we were screwed. There's Amen. A, there's nothing you can do. We've been imprisoned by this law, right? Uh, until the coming faith would be revealed. So this is why we need justification. Uh, I love the way it says here. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. So now this is the ESV I'm reading from, In the King James it'll say the law was our schoolmaster,
1: a tutor. And yeah.
0: these are the same concepts in the Jewish culture. The tutor, the schoolmaster, the guardian. This is like a nanny figure. Right. Uh, okay, so in their culture, uh, every male child was taught by, the, by a student of the synagogue yeah. or a rabbi. As a, like, he took guardianship of this child to teach him the law. And bring him up. And if, and he would have to learn to quote the entire Torah mm-hmm. by an early age. It's ridiculous. And then by age 13, if the child met the was up to standards, the child could then come into the rabbinical order. Right. Otherwise, the child was sent to go do whatever daddy was doing. Right. Learn the trade. Yeah. So uh, that was their culture. Mm-hmm. So this idea of the guardian, what he's saying here is the law was our guardian— our teacher to show us that we need something other than law yes. like it's so it's like an irony that the law was a guardian to teach us that we need something else and it says the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that he might that we might be justified by faith so Amen. the law is there to teach us that we have to be justified by something other than the law right which is faith, faith. but now that faith has come Notice what it says. We are no longer under a guardian. It doesn't right. say the, the guardian. old guardian. Right. It says a guardian, period. You have no Any. need for law that's anymore. Right. And that's
1: a big deal. You have no need for law anymore. When people hear that, immediately their hackles are raised again.
0: Oh, yeah, big time.
1: Because <clears throat> we are raised in a, in a system that says, no, we have to have laws that govern us. And including in church, that's why the Ten Commandments is such a big deal. Mm-hmm. We see them placked up everywhere, or you know, we want to put them as statues outside our courthouses. Yeah, and that's a great thing. I, I'm not, I'm not downing you for that. But what I'm saying is, we as Christians don't need it, right? Which We're, is a
0: shocking statement. It it is, and what we do is <laughs> is we, as in Western civilized. Christianity divide the old law up into these little pieces. We, right, we call it. Well, this is moral law, and this is civil law, and this is uh, sacrificial, sacrificial law, and we've got all these divisions of it. But you know, the Jews did not do that. No, law was law, and if you didn't keep any, if you didn't, if you missed out on one part, yeah, it all is one big thing. <laughs> That's right. And so let's take just one of the Ten Commandments, um, like "Thou shalt not kill." So we talked about. You know, murdering people or whatever, right? And we take some, that because that's an extreme one that everyone can kind of relate to. Is, well, we all know killing someone in cold blood is wrong. Sure. So let's take that one. So people on the other side of this argument might say, "Well, wait a minute, you're trying to say, tell me that it's it's okay for me to kill somebody," and the answer to that is no because not because i fear the punishment of the law or not because there is even a law telling me to do not to kill people i don't kill people because quoting galatians the life which i now live in the flesh i live by the faith in the son of god who loved me and gave, gave himself, himself for me. me so that is why i i i do it because christ lives in me that's right And I am trying to be him.
1: Yeah. And the Holy Spirit, you are a vessel of the the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Yes. You don't need a law, a written down law, to tell you what to do because you have the the law giver Mm -hmm. living with you. Right. At all times.
0: And we have (laughs) love. And we'll get to that a little bit right. more. But, but love fulfills the law. And exactly. so it, it all works together. Like, like, finding justification fixes stuff.
1: That's right. Like,
0: it fixes these problems. You don't have to be regulated anymore. So, okay, another good example of, of how we regulate things. You know, uh, if the reason why we have the laws on our books here in the land in America or whatever is because some idiot couldn't control themselves and did something stupid and got someone hurt or killed right. or whatever. And now it's well, I guess we're gonna have to make a law against that just to keep people from being stupid. And but if you're not stupid, if you're if you're doing things out of love, you don't need that.
1: Right. It's like this. I won't let my daughter go out in my front yard because I don't have a fence. If I had a fence, I would put up a fence mm-hmm. and it would keep her in that yard. And a fence is a good thing. She needs to be kept in the yard because right outside that yard is a is a road that people fly by like crazy. Yeah, right? Yeah. And so I keep I would keep her in the yard using the fence. Mm-hmm. Lock her in. And that'd be a good thing. The fence is the law. The fence is the law. Yeah. But as she grows up and she learns and she becomes understanding Mm -hmm. of
0: what the boundaries are, there's no need for the fence. Right. Well, and to take that even a step further, when she gets a little bit older, you can say, hey, Blakely, don't go out into the street. Right. Right? Okay, so you've made a law. Exactly. And the reason why the law exists is because she's too immature to know that if she walks out into the street, she's going to get you know whacked by a car. Right. So, so she's not thinking about those things. All she knows is there's a law here that tells me I can't do it, which sometimes makes her want to do it. Right. She sure. wants to go play in the Absolutely. street, and you're going to have to spank her for it on it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but then, you know, take that a step further. She becomes a teenager, or you don't have to tell her, hey, don't go play in the street. Because or don't go running off into the street. It's just a naturally known thing. She gets that, right? Right. She understands it now, and so there's no need for the law anymore. It's amazing how it works. Law is our guardian. It brings us into faith. It brings us into knowledge. Right. It brings us into an understanding. And so that's what he says here. Okay. So what is justification? So he he talks about that's how that's why justification is needed is because you're stuck in this. So so what is justification? So, uh, man, there's tons of of little uh, sayings or whatever. Okay, just as if I'd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, that's go what ahead. my daddy's saying,
1: <laughs> so and what, I love it. So, what does "justified" mean? It means just as if I'd never sinned.
0: Yeah, there you go. I just if I'd one. never sinned. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> and that's a good way of remembering it mm-hmm. because that is what it means. It means basically taking um, taking the. The existence of the sin away from you, right? So, um, so we use the term justified all the time, or justify. We, we usually use it in a pretty negative light. Like, for example, if I say, um, "Hey, how come you di- you were supposed to mow my yard and you didn't do it?" And you say, "Oh man, you know, football game was on. Oh, you was playing, and I couldn't get out of there." Okay, so. <laughs> And I'm like, you're just trying to justify the fact that you didn't mow my yard. I mean, that would justify it. (laughs) I so, you was playing. I'm just saying. So, what it means is you're (laughs) trying to make a legal argument for why it was okay to transgress. To make a defense. Yes. And uh, so, most of the time when we say that, it's a negative thing. Like, we're saying, what we're basically saying is your justification is not good enough. Right. That's usually what we mean when we do
1: that. Yeah. So Don't try to justify your actions yeah, to me. It
0: goes the same way with God. It's like you know, we we cannot make ourselves right mm. with God. Mm. He has to impute it upon us. Mm. So um there's a, a, another cool mathematical thing here going on that I thought was kind of neat. You have justice. Okay, we talked about God's justice is, is part of him. Like, he's got this justice thing going on. Right. But you also have mercy hmm. on the other side, where God has mercy on us. And justification is where justice and mercy come together. Yes. So in the lyrics of the Flyleaf song, mercy screams out her violent love. Justice and mercy... This is where they kiss. Mm. And so I love that romantic notion that that justification, this romance that we have with God, that we have with Christ, is the culmination of justice and mercy meeting, coming together, yeah. and kissing. So God's justice requires payment in blood. Mm. God's mercy sent a son his own son to pay that to pay that price that we owed. And so therefore this is this is what we we've talked about this on the show before, substitutionary atonement. yes. and so this is this is what justification is. It is God looks at you, he no longer sees your depravity, your sin. He sees his son's righteousness. Mm. He sees his son's obedience. So um, sticking with the book of Galatians here, Galatians 3, verse 10 through 13 says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does, does them shall live by them. So before we get through all this, what, what he's saying here is he's saying that justification can't come by works. So there can't be, if we're relying on works, relying on our own obedience of the law, we're under a curse. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. So it's like we were saying a while ago, just because you did all these other good things doesn't matter because you killed somebody. Right? James tells us, yes, you may say, I did not kill somebody, but I committed adultery, and therefore I am still a transgressor of the law. And so one, one mess up makes you guilty. Hmm. And so this is what he's saying here. He says, now it is now evident... <laughs> That no one is justified before God by the law uh, because righteous will live by faith. But I think this is kind of cool here where he says, but the law is not of faith. In other words, it takes no trust or belief or anything to obey a law, none whatsoever. I don't have to have a relationship with you. I don't have to have any type of of commitment from you Mm. for you to obey a law. Like, if you obey a law, that is simply you doing something and getting the benefits of not doing it or doing it or whatever the work is. That's right. So, he says, instead, a law is this, the one who does them shall live by them. So, in other words, you're on your own, brother. (laughs) (laughs) If you're going to stick to the law, you better stick to the law and you better stick to all of it because that's the only way you can be justified by it is perfection, Mm. which cannot, as we know, as he says, it's evident. It can't happen. Right. And so it says, and so here's the kicker of what justification is. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree? So Christ becomes our sacrifice. He becomes, um, he be- he becomes our justification. So his his perfection is imposed on us, and his uh, and our filthiness, our transgressions, our sins are all put onto him. Hmm. Okay. So thirdly, so. We, we saw that we, there is a need for justification. We see, we, we understand what justification is. So what is the means by which we receive this justification? And this is explained to us also in Galatians. <laughs> so Galatians 3, verse 21 to 22 says, So is the law contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So he tells us here how we receive the justification. So he says, the scripture, in other words, the Torah, the law, the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. Like the simple fact that we have the law imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ, the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to who? Those who believe. believe. Amen. So this is the means of justification, is by faith and only by faith. It's the only way you can receive it. Right and it is so cool that he is arguing this whole book is a is the argument of law versus faith like the entire thing right and and it's so cool to me that the holy spirit chose the problem at hand to be circumcision <laughs> that's the that is the law they're really bickering over right and uh but well, makes sense. It, it does. So, Okay, so he continues. Let's look, look at Galatians 5. Okay. Okay, so the first six verses of Galatians 5, some of my favorite passages of the Bible. And for one, it declares our freedom. Um, and it also, it, this is a, a funny one for me. You hear the term fallen from grace all the time. People say it in pop culture. It's everywhere. It's in songs. Sure. Whatever. Fallen from grace. And nine out of the ten times you hear it, or maybe even ten out of the ten times you hear it, it's completely out of context. Like, completely.
1: Oh, yeah. Because
0: what most people mean when they say, you've fallen from grace. It means that you
1: started sinning again.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: You, you blew
0: it. You right? blew it. You were good with God, and now you're screwed up. Right. It's right the opposite of what Paul's teaching here. Exactly. Exactly the opposite. But what's funny is, fallen by grace, or fallen from grace comes from this passage. Right. The phrase. This is the only place it's in the Bible. (laughs) It's from this passage. Sure. (laughs) So it means right the opposite of what people use it for. So let's look at this. It says, uh, beginning in the first verse, it says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So first off, he's accusing them. You're your need to follow this law is enslaving you hmm. it is it is you you've been freed from this slavery you've been freed from law whenever you came to christ but now you're enslaving yourself again you're putting yourself back in chains and so he's saying stand firm in your freedom he says look i paul say to you that if you accept circumcision Christ will be of no advantage to you now, let's talk about circumcision just for a minute. Okay, so if we going to go back to dividing the law, circumcision to a Jew was one of the most important laws that could ever exist. Why? Because it identified you as God's person. Like as part of, that's what made you a Jew.
1: Right. It was the it was it was the
0: uh, mark mm. of faith yes. for them. It was the sign and the seal. Exactly. Right? So th- this was what, this was, and this law predates the Mosaic law by 400 and some odd years. Right. It was the first thing that Abraham was given. Yeah. So long before there was a thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not commit adultery and thou shalt have no other God before me, before any of that was written by the finger of God on in stone, like was, before all yeah. of that, we had this law. Right. Right be circumcised on the eighth day. And what does Paul do? He attacks the, the, Foundation. the pinnacle <laughs> of their law.
1: Right.
0: He, he attacks it and says, if you accept it, Christ is of no advantage to you. Ugh. Wow. He just set Christ completely against their, very, their foundational beliefs, their traditions, their law. And he says, so it, continue on, he says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what law you're picky about, which one you like, which one you think we, should, we really should be doing that or whatever. If you're thinking of it in terms of in order to be right with God, we really need to be doing that. I don't care which one you're picking. You just took them all. You can't have one without the other. You can't pick one of those Ten Commandments and go, well, yeah, but that one I got to keep. That one's still part of my, my justification with God. Sure. If you pick one of those, you also got to pick the one in Leviticus that says that women have to leave the camp. When they had on their menstrual menstrual cycles. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you have to keep the one that says you have to to stone your disobedient children. Right. And I mean, you can't like just pick one and go, oh, but it's part of the Ten Commandments or it's part of this. It's the moral law. Right. Or yeah. No, that's not how it works. (laughs) So so circumcision here is a very important thing that he grabbed the one that was going to be like if there was any law. That you could probably make an exception on In their case That was the one mm-hmm. And he destroys it and I, don't, and I don't mean that in a bad way You can still be circumcised It's okay
1: <laughs> A lot of you didn't have a decision on that
0: It's alright Yeah, I had no choice Yeah, me neither it's, <laughs> But it's a healthy thing, I understand so. That's
1: what they say anyways But any <laughs> We should cut that
0: out. All right, anyways, let's
1: keep going.
0: Hey, it's part of the Bible. Yeah. Okay, so (laughs) he says here, um, so you're obligated, if you keep one of them, you got to keep them all. You can't just be partial to that one. I mean, you got to keep them all because you're trying to get to God through law. He says, if that's what you're doing, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, check this out, have fallen away from grace. Hmm. So that's what the fallen from grace thing is. You're fallen from grace whenever you try to get to God to be legalistic. <laughs> if you're if if you are not re- relying on your faith in his grace, you've fallen from You have it. fallen from it. Yeah. Like that is where the kicker is. It says for through the spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Mm. Not by not by law-keeping, not by this or that and the other, but by faith we ourselves eagerly await the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, mm. but only faith working through love. And that has been, that last statement has been one of our go-to verses at The Way. Sure. Nothing matters except for faith, faith working through love. Yes. So if we go back to... This whole concept of how love fulfills the law in Romans uh, chapter 13, verse beginning in verse eight, down through almost the rest of the chapter there, it, it says that love is the fulfilling of the law. For if you love your brother, you're not going to murder him. If you love your brother, you're not going to commit adultery with his wife. Like there's this, love is going to be what controls you. Right. Right. And and it's not the fear of punishment or it's not the attempt to try and get to God that, that makes you do these things now. Instead, it is your love. It is faith working through love. Yeah, it's
1: that passionate relationship with God who indwells you through the Holy Spirit and guides you into righteousness. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. That's, that's what, I, you know, I don't look to an Old Testament law... To tell me what to do and what not to do, I look to a holy God who I have a passionate relationship with, mm. who convicts me and and shows me in love where I need to go and what
0: I need to do. Yeah. It's that simple. Is it's, it's really clear. Yeah. And, and so as we move forward, the last thing I wanted to look at is, well, what exactly is a saving faith? Mm. So because we use that word faith all over the place. That's right. I mean, we say things like, uh, you know, keep the faith. Or we'll say things like, be faithful. Um, and and so the question comes, well, what do you mean by that? And if we go back to the uh, original Greek, uh, pistis is the Greek word that is usually uh, what we're looking at here when we talk about faith, it is a trusting thing. Right. And so, you know, we often, and even the Bible translations will inter um, in exchange. Terms faith and belief, but I think that trust is probably a better synonym for mm. faith than belief is.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: Okay, so uh, one example or a couple examples here about the difference between just belief, a statement of belief, and actual faith. Okay, so there was you know this is a popular one that is used a lot. There was years and years and years ago. There was a uh, a tightrope walker by the name of Blondin the Great. Right. And Blondin was famous for tightrope walking across Niagara Falls. So he had this tightrope out there. He's out there doing his thing. He's got all these people on the edge there at the rail watching him do this. And uh, he goes in comes out. He gets back to the rail and he gets his wheelbarrow. Mm -hmm. And he looks to the crowd and he says, do do you all think that I can tightrope walk with this wheelbarrow? And they're all like, oh, yeah, go for it. You got this, you know. And so he looks at one of the little kids there that was hollering this. And he says, well, jump in and let's find out. Uh-uh. <laughs> You're on your own. Sure. I ain't doing that. Well, he just got through making a statement of belief. So what is the difference? The difference is, is that, that faith is trust. So if you truly believed in a trusting way that this man could carry you across the tightrope, you would have no problem getting into the wheelbarrow. Yeah. So going back to your little blurb, if I if I've seen Jeremiah shoot, I got confidence in you that you could shoot an apple off my head. If that's a statement of belief. Right. It's not faith until I step off and put an apple on my head and go, go for it.
1: Right. Faith is trust in action. Right. It's it's the... And we practice this on a daily basis without even thinking about it. I, I get up in the morning and I have faith that when I flip the light on, it's going to turn on. So what do I do? I flip the light switch. Right. I have faith that my chair is going to hold me up without mm-hmm. even thinking about it. So what do I do? I sit down in the chair. Now, some people shouldn't have that faith. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some chairs hold them up, right? Because <laughs> they crack. But <laughs> others, you know. No, I've never seen that happen. Me neither. So <laughs> anyways, but, uh, but you simply... Act upon that faith. Yeah. Now, I can set a chair out, and I do this, with, I've done this with my youth. I can set a chair out and I can go, I I believe that chair will hold me up while I'm standing up. Mm-hmm. I point to that chair and I say, I know that if I sit down in that chair, it's it's going to hold me up. But I'm not showing faith. Right. You're just making a statement I'm of belief. I'm making a, a, a statement of belief mm-hmm. It where faith meets <laughs> Saving faith is mm-hmm. where it's an action,
0: right, or where it at least would lead to an action. Right. So, you know, I, I want to make sure everyone knows we're not trying to smoothly inject works, works. No, into we're not. into the salvation uh-uh. process. What I'm saying is that the faith has to be something that would incur works, right? That it would that it would drive you to that. Like there, like there's no doubt in your mind that would stop you mm-hmm. from. Because faith will in time anyway produce works. It will. There's no there's no ifs, ands and buts about it. It's going to cause you to change. It's gonna cause you to do things. Is it it Paul that says now faith is the the substance of things hoped for?
1: the The evidence.
0: the evidence of things not seen. How can it be evidence of things not seen if there's not something to see? Exactly.
1: I uh, Have you ever... You've watched Indiana Jones? I was about to say, have you ever watched Indiana Never. Jones? Uh, what is that? Never. What's that? Right. <laughs> Indiana Jones and the uh, Last Crusade. Uh-huh. You The the scene. He's going through trying to make it to the cup, right? Yes. And he goes to that that one spot where it's a gigantic he's he's at the gigantic gorge, gorge yeah. right the mm-hmm. gigantic cavern <clears throat> and what does he do he well, i think it's written somewhere mm-hmm. that that scripture is written it, somewhere yeah it
0: says something about yeah uh, 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 the leap of faith the leap of faith
1: yeah. that's right and so he has to without knowing that there's a bridge there at all he has to step out imagine yourself stepping out on that gorge mm-hmm. right And then what is he he scatters the rocks onto it it afterwards. Yeah.
0: But it takes that initial step, trusting Mm -hmm. that there's there's gotta be something. Man shall the man of God shall walk by faith. Walk by faith. Which comes out of Galatians.
1: All right. (laughs) And I see that, you know, that's what I think of
0: whatever. And Habakkuk. Yeah. But uh, so That's good. I love this quote by Martin Luther about it. He says, Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. (laughs) Yes. I love that imagery right. because, you know, it's like you might see the first step and that's all it takes. Take that one little step onto it and, and, and knowing that God will take you the rest of the way. And so it might be dark. You might not know what's ahead, mm-hmm. but it's the exact Indiana Jones scene. Right. Take that first step. That's all you have to do is, is reach out there. Um, another thing that that identifies saving faith is that it is, and this is a big one, I believe, for our Western modernized Christian cultures. Faith is objective. It is not subjective. So in other words, you're the subject of the sentence, I believe, right? Mm -hmm. It's not about you. What is it you believe in? It is the object that is important. And so many times... Uh, the American culture gets so hung up on it. This is my faith. This is what I believe. I, I, I. It's all about me. You come to church, and I'm not getting fed. And blah 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 blah. Stop making this all about you. You're not the the the. the uh, object. You're not the object of this sentence. Jesus is where the faith is. So it is very important, and this separates a lot of what our Western culture, modern day believes versus what the Reformers 500 years ago, they were all into this objective um, faith. That just like the very first quote that I read by Martin Luther, what did it say? In my heart reigns this one article, faith in my dear Lord Christ is the beginning, middle, and end of whatever. Not my faith. He says faith in my dear Lord, like it, he, he's the object, and it's clearly he's the object, and he's everything.
1: Well, that's a you know, you're hitting on something that we'll probably come back and touch on on Day De La Gloria.
0: Yes, right,
1: definitely, which is a big deal. Um, and uh, your faith is contingent upon how trustworthy the thing is that you're having the faith in. Right. There's nothing more. Nothing more faith. More more
0: faith-worthy, right. trustworthy than Jesus. Right. That's good stuff. That's very good. Okay, so the last thing to, to kind of un- understand what a saving faith is, is that, and I think this is a big one for people too, is we have to understand that a saving faith is not quantifiable. So what do I mean by that? Um, Let's lean on Martin Luther again. Commentary of Galatians. He says, The article of justification must be sounded in our ears incessantly because the frailty of our flesh will not permit us to take hold of it perfectly and to believe it with all our heart. Hmm. So in other words, a saving faith isn't a big faith necessarily. It can be a small faith. It doesn't take much to believe and put trust in Jesus. The statement about the staircase, the the faith, trusting faith is taking that first step. You might not have enough faith to know 10 steps later, I'm still going to be okay. But I know I can step on that one step and be okay. So many times Christians come and they say, you know what? I just don't know if my faith is strong enough. I just don't know if I'm truly saved because I struggle with this, and I have my doubts, and et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, you know what? If you're struggling with that, it sounds to me like you've got a saving faith Mm. already because you're struggling, because you want it, because it's... And so uh, um, the, the one thing that we just need to know is that as we move forward, God reveals more and more and more. And this is why studying the scriptures are so important. It builds our faith. Right. So whenever we're reading and we're in the scriptures and all of a sudden we see God acting upon that, and something happens in our lives, and it's we hear it on the radio or we hear a friend talking about it, and it's exactly what I've been reading in my devotionals or whatever. And it hits us, it's a faith builder, and we go, Wow, God really is there. Right. (laughs) It's, It's like these one little things that just keep nailing us because all of us are subject to doubts. Oh, yeah. And all of us are subject to those dark times of the soul where we start to call into question, and it's, it is actually healthy to call into question your faith
1: mm-hmm.
0: because it makes you examine and concentrate on it and zero in on it. And so I, I think that we have to remember that this saving faith is not quantifiable. So when Jesus says things like, oh, you of little faith, how long must I endure this generation? Yes, he's put out. And yes, he's struggling with his disciples, but he's not calling their salvation into question. Right. He's calling maybe a little bit of their sanctification into question. Right. <laughs> they're not quite where he wanted them to be, but they weren't lost. Mm. He just wanted them to be able to perform better. Mm-hmm. He wanted them to trust more. He, you know, because they're scared on the boat. Right. And I didn't give you the spirit of fear, right? Has nothing to do with their salvation, it's about growing them. Amen. And so, yes, there is quantifiable faith, but that is not a part of justification. It's further, it's a part of sanctification.
1: sanctification that's right.
0: And so so anyway, really, that's that is the main idea of why salvation comes through faith mm-hmm. alone. Um, and of course, I want to end with this verse that I quoted earlier, because it drives everything in, in our lives. <clears throat> when we have faith, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, mm-hmm. who loved me and gave himself for me. And he, he continues there in the next verse and says that, uh, if he, I will not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the works of the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Mm. And to me, that is such a powerful statement that by leaning on your own works and somehow thinking that your justification or that you can obtain grace by working, which is, again, asinine because you've just totally redefined the word grace, but to think that makes Jesus' death in vain. Oof. You've fallen. From grace.
1: Ugh, that's good.
0: You got some news for us? Yeah, let's do
1: <laughs> And now, the news. There's a new study out that says the anti-Christian bias hasn't grown, it's just gotten richer. So we've all heard the old adage that uh, more and more people in this world are hating evangelical Christianity. Yeah. Um, and I would say that that would be true, but... There's been an actual sociologist, George Yancey, who analyzed 30-plus years of data to track approval ratings for evangelical and fundamental Christians. His big takeaway was this. What has changed is not the number of Americans who dislike conservative Christians, but which Americans. Hmm. So it's shifted. According to the American National Election Studies questionnaires, the people who rated evangelical and fundamental Christians most negatively over the decades have consistently and unsurprisingly been politically liberal, highly educated, and less religious. But in recent years, uh, particularly 2012 and 2016, they've shifted to become richer. Hmm. This trend means that people pushing back against conservative Christians now have bigger budgets to bankroll their viewpoint. <laughs> American evangelicals, quote, are clearly incorrect in the notion that hostility towards conservative Christians has increased over the last few decades. The University of North Texas professor wrote in his latest issue of revu- review of religious research. But if those with anti-Christian hostility have gained economic power, then Christian activists may be correct in that they now pay a stiffer price for that animosity. For example, when a wave of states considered Religious Freedom Restoration Act legislation in 2015-16, major companies like Disney, (coughs) Angie's List, and Walmart deemed such laws discriminatory and launched boycotts. Russell Moore suggested the 2014 case of Mozilla CEO Brendan um, Eake, who, and uh, the recent scrutiny over federal, Federalist appointees with conservative Christian beliefs as further evidence. There's more explicit hostility towards Christians in some sectors of power uh, that is real and not imagined, said Moore, president of the Southern Baptist Convention's Ethic and religious liberty commissions. There's always a tendency to have a siege mentality and to imagine that people hate us when they're just not thinking about us at all. But I think that there are several examples where that's the case. Yancey's research also found no drop in progressive uh, Christians' approval ratings for conservative Christians. Hmm. That's always been slightly negative. That's really interesting to me. So basically the power... there's be, There's a power shift is what
0: this whole thing's about. So it's not about uh quantity necessarily it's about which ones right so it's so it, whoever has the biggest mouthpiece yes it's the ones with the biggest biggest mouthpiece that are making it sound like there's this huge movement against
1: exactly yeah. and it's it's really just more you know they have bigger budgets <laughs> yeah. so they're able to get their message out a little bit better pretty crazy mm. all right uh the NFL could make a rule against kneeling during the national anthem. NFL itself may start cracking down on demonstrations and protests taking place during the national anthem. Across the league, players have been kneeling, sitting, linking arms, and holding up fists to protest racial injustice around the country. A league spokesman told the Washington Post that owners are going to soon discuss whether they can make a rule that requires the players to stand during the anthem, though he said player input would be considered. He also suggested that approval of the Players Association itself Would not be required for its passage, explaining, I don't believe the anthem per se is something that needs to be correctively bargained. However, the executive director of the Players Association said that he was previously told by the league that players who choose not to stand won't be penalized. President Trump's anger at players who who are demonstrating who he called sons of whatever, yeah, <laughs> uh, may have something to do with it. Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, said that he told players that they must stand or be benched after Trump reminded me about the game Ops policy. He's referring to the league manual, which has not been public. hmm Have you heard about the league manual? No. If you look it up in the NFL League manual, it says this, players must stand with their heart, hands over their hearts for the national anthem. It literally says that in the league manual. Right. Any player not standing will be fined. <laughs> but they haven't done anything about it. Yeah. Anyways, it's a very interesting thing. Whether or not you agree or disagree with it, I'm not making that that stance at all. I think there could be a reason to kneel if you want to kneel. But I think
0: uh, our... Was it the Babylon Bay was talking about how everyone's T-bowing? Yeah, everybody's T-bowing. <laughs> Yay, T-bow. Okay.
1: Um, let's see. Christian movie director God can use dogs as guardian angels. What? Christian movie director Mitch Davis, who is behind the upcoming film The Stray, said he believed God sometimes sends us guardian angels in the form of dogs. <laughs> Davis's film is based on his own experiences and tells the story of a stray dog who Endears himself to a family Just when it seems the family is about to fall apart According to ChristianityToday.com The film also shows That how that strained dog, the stray dog Named Pluto Helps the family when the father and three boys Get lost in the wilderness And the father even gets struck by lightning Dogs perform that function of unconditionally loving us, which is really what the Lord does. That's true. Davis said in an interview with the Gospel Herald, he unconditionally loves us and is there for us and forgives us, and I think dogs do much the same thing. There's something very Christ-like about that story. There's no question that God used Pluto to change our lives, Davis added, referring to his own life story in which the movie is based. I think God demonstrates <laughs> to us many ways through many means he continued the scriptures teach that we all have ent- uh, entertained angels unaware and whether or not god <laughs> specifically <laughs> sent pluto there's no question that he performed an angelic function in our family he healed us and saved us emotionally and physically go ahead
0: what i was
1: holy ghost power that's awful holy ghost power that's awful <laughs> Oh my goodness.
0: (laughs) I don't know. What do you got to say about that one, David? It's just weird. (laughs) I mean, there's not a lot of (laughs) theological argument about it. I Uh, just, I I mean, people are. I believe there are angels among us. Okay, anyways. Well, the whole angel thing is, you know. Up for debate anyway, but then you add the whole canine <laughs> element. So it's like uh, there are hounds of the hell. Uh, so I guess they could be hounds <laughs> Hound <head>. of heaven <laughs>
1: Release the hounds. <laughs> the the angel Gabriel's like, I think I'm going to go to him as a uh, pit bull. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what's going to happen.
0: I know that there are pet lovers out there. That <laughs> It could be. I don't know why y'all are making so much fun of this. But R. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, Scooby. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Okay. Georgia mother is upset by middle school quiz on sexual identity. Now, this has not been a hundred percent confirmed. Um, in fact it's still being discussed but very interesting one georgia mother wants to know why her child came home with a quiz where she had a different she had to differentiate between different sexual orientations and identities questions included identifying the proper term for a woman who is attracted to other women man attracted to other men and a person attracted to women and men uh Octavia Parks, whose 12 year old daughter, 12.
0: I would need to take that exam too, I think.
1: Is this, yeah. Is, I'm, it, not, I'm
0: not going to get it all right. Is
1: there. a sixth grader in Lithonia Middle School. Wants to know why the school district included the subject matter in a class filled with young children. Parks told Fox 5 Atlanta We're talking about a sixth grader who still watches Nickelodeon. Park signed a consent form for the child to opt out of this material. She also claims she has a discussion with the teacher about it, but says none, none, um, the less, it is happening. Spokesperson says, spokesperson for the school says they're still investigating it. Um, Parks removed her daughter from the class. Says she will go in directly to the school board as soon as the district fall break ends. She remains perplexed why her child's curriculum includes learning the correct term for a person whose gender identity doesn't match the sex, male or female, the doctor said when they were born. She asked, why are they teaching that in school? What does that have to do with my life? <laughs> well,
0: tolerance.
1: Yep, there you go. Give him an inch. Is that, is that all your news? I'm done. <laughs> Holy ghost power. That's awful. <laughs> all
0: right. Well, well, let's get on out of here then. Deal. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You have an email. I do. Let's let's do some feedback here. I don't even know if I have the button anymore. Voicemail. There, I did yeah, it for you. I can't you. even do it. Oh, here it is. Voicemail. Sounds <laughs> just like it. You're pretty close, anyway. Yeah. Uh, t- Actually, it's Do you not, need to put on your glasses? It, oh, I do. It's not a uh, voicemail. It is email. Email. Okay, we got an email from Matt. Hi, Matt. Uh, hey. So he says, Hello, Theonauts. First, I'd like to thank you for the show. It helps me tremendously get through a boring work day. <laughs> You're welcome, I'm buddy. glad we can break up the board. Yep. And also, thanks for taking the time to read this. I've been listening regu- regularly for about three weeks now, so of course I have a huge backlog of episodes to listen to, and I am really looking forward to it. Naturally, I am not sure if either of these have been covered in a podcast already, so please forgive me if they have. So as the title suggests, he's talk- talking about his subject of the email, I have a few things I'd like to talk about primarily regarding Calvinism and Arminianism. Dun, dun, dun.
1: Holy ghost power. That's awful.
0: <laughs> Again. <I> lo- <laughs> so, wait, no, this is the one that I need right here.
1: My only fear is the uh, milk drinkers in my <laughs> congregation. Is this meat going to be too much for them to swallow?
0: He says, I love studying different theological points of view and trying to understand each one from a biblical perspective. I've been reading a lot of scripture and have come across some things that seem to challenge a lot of popular belief among Christians, namely the idea of predestination versus free will. What do you guys find to be more biblical? <laughs> Calvinism always, uh, almost always immediately references Romans 8, 28 and 29, or Romans 9, 10 to 24. But there are verses such as Ephesians 1, verse 5 through 11, mm-hmm. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, and Revelations 13, uh, verse 8, etc. Mm-hmm. All of those and others seem to be proof for the Calvinist that God himself predestines the outcome of salvation among humans. Even Acts 4, 27 and 28 seems to help support a Calvinistic claim. Total depravity. Romans 3:11, Isaiah 64:6, 6, and completely complete sovereignty, Job 42:2, Psalms 135:6, 6, Proverbs 16:4 are among other points as well. There are other points they use too that I left out. Now, this would pose some questions. If God, the author of is God the author of sin then what's hmm. the point of evangelism? Hmm. Is God just in doing is, is God just in doing so? Is that real love? Now, Arminianism will say man is entirely free to make a choice to seek God and, and can, under his own power, choose to submit to Jesus Christ and to follow him. Verses that seem to support Arminianism would be John 3.16, Jesus dying for the whole world, not just elect. 2 Peter three verse nine and 1 Timothy two verse four. God wills that everyone would come to know him and choose to submit to the cross, which would imply that every man has a choice and grace is extended to everyone. This poses questions too, though. So God can be denied of what he wills? What about Acts 4? Does this imply God isn't completely sovereign? Another theological perspective would be Molinism, which seems to reconcile the differences and meet in the middle. It states God is completely sovereign and exhibits middle knowledge and man has free will. Sorry, I don't have much biblical support for this view, which is why I left it out. What do you guys think? Do you fit on either of these fully, partially, or somewhere in the middle? It is important we read in context and in conjunction with what the rest of the scripture says. Also, I'd like to tell you that I find more biblical support toward Calvinism than I do Arminianism, but I do not necessarily claim to be Calvinistic. I see things from both sides. I'd also like to say that this isn't something I necessarily struggle with or test my faith, but rather, I am interested in it because of love to study theology. Regardless of you, I love Christ more than theology. Amen. I love that. The Bible is my final authority, and the only claim I make is to be a Christian that serves Jesus Christ. It is foolish to me that people get bent out of shape with brothers and sisters over this matter. It is important that we don't ever forget the cross sacrifice that Jesus that saved us, not theology. Sorry for grammar, and once again, thanks guys for taking the time to read this. Wow, what a way to introduce Matt!
1: <laughs> wow, I mean, first of all, thank you for the email. It's extremely well put, uh, mm-hmm. extremely well written,
0: and um, yeah, I don't know, understand the the apology for the grammar. I thought yeah. Well, and, and we're in Texas. That. We 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 don't have the best of grammar. Right. Even even the the English teacher in the room here. It's horrible.
1: <laughs> Anyways, so uh, but the other thing, I mean, you you certainly have studied uh, up on on this issue. But it's the this here is the deal. This is the if not the number one, close to the number one debated issue in all of Christendom, mm-hmm. to me it is the one that uh, spans a lot the lifetime of the church um and is a, a serious you know it seems to be a serious issue for a lot of people yeah um in fact people people
0: are passionate
1: about people, it people very passionate divide up into camps um, get tattoos. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Just, it's it's a very interesting, in fact, there's a new movie out, a documentary called Calvinist. I don't know if you've heard of it, um, but a whole bunch of people are, are buying into that. And, you know, um,
0: well, we've never done a show specifically yeah. on Calvinism or Arminianism or Molinism, which honestly, I kind of like Molinism. I'm not completely opposed to some of what uh was a guy's name Melina that that you know posed the idea
1: that it could be both that ends.
0: that they're yeah uh but I, here's my thing I'm not big on camps I don't like I'm really not even a big fan of systematic theology because this you become so obsessed with the system and you can only jump into one or the other you like you're either this or you're that, and I right. and I think that that's overstepping, it, especially in these specific uh camps, because it almost all relies on what is God thinking. Right. We
1: We're, have to be, and that's the thing. We have to be very careful. We have to we have to understand that we are five year olds trying to think at a at a college level and uh in spiritually. Right. And so um it is. It is absolutely hundred percent okay to dis- to to search these things out, to discover them, and even to line up in a position, and mm-hmm. that's fine. That's that's wonderful. But the danger in it is, and you hit the nail on the head when we um, when we start to uh, equate other salvation based on this idea, or start to um, look down on or be negative with. Other brothers or sisters who hold a differing view in this arena—it's a tertiary issue. Yeah, we under—we we both come to the, the understanding that knowledge, or understanding that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, which is what we've been discussing. Yeah. Now, whether we
0: wouldn't be celebrating the Reformation if we didn't have some reformed agreement?
1: Exactly, <laughs> and and that's the truth. I mean, we have to we have to for for example, we have to understand that man is totally depraved. Mm-hmm. Now, what that actually means... And how
0: far you take it. And that, how far you take that. I mean, you're so depraved you can't have faith, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, exactly. it's like there, you can go crazy in any direction <laughs> right? with any of these. So. I, think it's, I think it's a shame that people end up throwing the baby out with the bath wash. So, like, for example, if you're, it's like you can't disagree with three points of the five points of Calvinism or whatever. I mean, you, you have to, like, either take it all or take none of it. I mean, yeah. it, it's like... Um, i don 't know I think that 's what makes it really divisive to me is that uh you can you can aspire to some of this and you and you may even g- lean completely toward it with an idea that I may not have this right because after all i 'm trying to figure out what god 's thinking like this whole <laughs> predestination thing and choosing and elect and and the whole um the whole concept of um of god 's view of time and what he can see what he can't see all that plays into this yeah and it's like these are things we can't even uh, uh, aspire to to attain and yes you know calvinism is lauded as being a little bit more scholarly scholarly than Armenianism and, and or you else, could but.
1: say biblical or backed up with scripture a little bit more but it depends on your interpretation of that scripture right um so but and I will say that there are opposites on the spectrum that you shouldn't go to first off open theism on the the Armenian side is mm. right out right stupidity um, but on the other side uh, being a Calvinist and not being evangelical because of that, is or you know, sharing your faith with the people, right? right. Is total stupidity on the or other being side, being a
0: complete arrogant, you know what, yeah, because you're so chosen that that you just are full of yourself, that's right. That happens,
1: <laughs> believe it or not, that happens. I've been there, so understand that, and um, I don't know if we'll ever do that <laughs> topic. <laughs> Maybe at some point. We've
0: touched on it a lot. Maybe at some point, David, in, in our place.
1: relationship, which has been, what, five years now, and we're closer than brothers in a lot of ways, maybe our relationship will get to the point where we can discuss that. I don't I don't know. Well, I think
0: we personally discuss it quite a <laughs> all bit. All the
1: time. But I don't um, think we can do it on Theonauts yet. So <laughs> at some point... We'll get there But dude Thank you for listening in And uh, keep listening And I don't know Maybe we'll have you on to to Because you seem like You know a lot about yeah. it to, uh, to to talk with us about that yeah. So that's all I got I don't know
0: Alright cool Well let's get out of here Alright deal The Theonauts are part of The Great Commission Transmission Network Using new media And social networking To go in all the world And to proclaim the good news To everyone to find out more, go to gctnetwork.com, subscribe to the newsletter, stay up to date with all our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema and the Secret Fire podcast.
1: Visit our website at Theonauts Podcast for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher, and be sure to rate us because that
0: helps us reach a larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to Theonots. At gctnetwork.com Or call us on our voicemail line Which we haven't gotten a voicemail In a long time guys I want to hear somebody's voice We want to put you on the air For the whole world to hear you Yes So call us Our thousands, millions upon millions of listeners (laughs)
1: 972-885-7270 Tweet to us on Twitter (laughs) using At Theonautical Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theonauts
0: And if you like us and want even more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash Theonauts. Your patronage helps in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs.
1: And don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's word with us. All right, Jeremiah,
0: thanks for being here, bro. Hey, thank you, man. All right, God bless. Try that again. This has been Where's that Leonardo's Apple? Podcast. Call us
1: I want you to put it on your head so I can shoot it off, you know. <laughs> <laughs> totally trust me, right? Faint, man,
0: faint. 972 885 7270. Love to hear from you.
1: You are tuned in to the GCT Network.
0: This is your Great
1: Commission. <laughs> this is your Great Commission transmission. At gctnetwork.com. This is your great You guys are making me look bad in front of God!